Well, hi, and welcome back to our podcast. Always good to be back. I'm joined again, uh, once again, by my co-host, Dave Finn. G'day, Dave. Hello, Mary, and I am excited today. We've got an all-star lineup. We do, actually. And the topic today is the future of credit insurance and how the economy has impacted the need for the product, as well as how the product itself has actually evolved. So we've got a lot to cover, given that we've got a few guests on today. So I'm going to start by introducing um, one of our guests. So we've got Mark Hoppy first off, who you could say was born into credit insurance, <laughs> having entered into the industry as a broker and now, of course, the managing director of uh, Trade Associania. He's lived and breathed the product, so we're fortunate to have his insights today. Dave, I'll leave you to introduce our other guests. Oh, it's my pleasure to welcome Dirk Huckener, the Director of Strategy and Corporate Development at Atradius. Uh, Dirk's got decades of experience. Dirk, it's an honour to have you on the show. And I'd also like to welcome Stephen Kukulas, the Managing Director of Market Economics and one of Australia's leading economic voices. Stephen, we're very excited to have you on board. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, well, um, given we've got a lot to cover, let's kick off first with a question to Mark. So, Mark, it's no surprise to anyone that we've had a fairly tumultuous year in 2020. There's been a lot of uncertainty about risk and, of course, uncertainty about the future. How do you think 2020 has shaped your thoughts about the relevance of the credit insurance product in our market or, indeed, globally? Look, I, th I think it really reinforced why people insure in the first place. If you look back to March last year and probably up until September when people were talking about economic cliffs and uh, and concerns. I think everybody that had a credit insurance policy was very happy that they had one. It allowed them to continue to trade with confidence. And I think just from their own business point of view, it let them sleep at night, which is a bit of a cliche as to why we sell it, but it is a real reason. And then the other real reason why people should credit insure is, is around growth. And if you look at you know, the economic impact of last year, and we'll get into it a little bit later, uh, there, there'll be economic growth coming in in the next couple of years based on, you know, we dropped last year. However, a lot of money be, has been thrown in and there'll be new opportunities. And look, when there's opportunities, there's also risk attached to it. And if I'm in a business and I'm looking to grow, I'd rather grow with the protection of the insurance and, and the knowledge that comes with it. So for me, as I said, it's just a reinforcement of, of why we have it in the first place. Yeah, of course. I feel like uh, buying some credit insurance after hearing that, Mark. <laughs> I can now, set you up, Dave. Mates rates, mates rates, Dave. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm after. Um, I've got a question for you, Mark. Which industries do you think benefited from credit insurance last year and which do you think will mostly benefit going forward? Look, I, in the Australian market, traditionally, the people who insure are in ICT, construction, retail, the food sector, our exporters, and, and certainly all of them benefited in regards to feeling safe and, and comforted in who they were selling to. Mm -hmm. And I think going forward, obviously those markets will continue to benefit. But if you look, you know, if you look what's going on economically around the world, if you're exporting, there may be areas of export that have not looked at credit insurance before. If you're in the food sector, supplying into hospitality, et cetera, it's worth looking at areas like chemicals and pharmaceuticals. So market penetration of credit insurance in Australia is under 10%. Mm -hmm. And we're always pushing, I guess, for those industries that don't insure to take a look at it. And I'm pretty sure that many of those in March, April, May last year wish they'd looked at it in the past. Now, obviously, the claims did not eventuate, but I don't think that's a reason not to look at it. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to put yourself in your shoes at that time and think, gee, I wish I had it. 
And as I said, the opportunities that come in the next couple of years, the way Australia's dealt with COVID, the way we're positioned, uh, if you're looking to grow, then I think having that protection of credit insurance in any industry is important. Yeah, that's interesting. Very well said, Mark. Yeah, well, we know we know credit insurance is not a simple insurance product. So, Dirk, I might go over to you. You were recently interviewed by Insurance CIO Outlook, where you spoke about in innovation in in a complex product like credit insurance. I'm hoping you can share your views here and thoughts about how well the products evolved, but how digitalisation may shape credit insurance and risk mitigation, and how we're preparing for that. Sure, Mary. Um, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to be in your podcast. So I try to give you a bit of a perspective from an European view. Um, as, as you can imagine, we, digitalization is a, is a global theme. So I hope that is obviously also lending uh, also here in, in, in your region. As, as you indicated, we have in principle, um, or we see digitalization very much from two angles. And, and I mean, one has, has already alluded on, on, on uh, with Mark, this is the prevention and as well the user experience and you mentioned as well that the product as such is not the easiest so let's start maybe with prevention i mean we are there to pay a claims but in, in principle it's better to have no claims so prevent what what is happening around let's say a default and therefore we have in principle to have the best data which which they are um, so be as predictive as we can and for this best data uh, we have obviously now opportunities like the traditional sources, but technology helps us to get more there. So what, what I mean here is very much what is available in the internet. Social media has not the same credibility, but still there's a lot of updated information which will help us to also improve the proposition around our data. For that, we need technology to crawl, for example, data, one of these famous words, so that um, machines are helping to digest uh, the data which are available. And then also what is very relevant for our business is that we explain what the decision is all about. So what we need to also give, and they called it fussy logic, one of these fancy words, which explains then what the machine is decided. So as you know, in credit insurance, we all have to be very committed to explain our decisions and we will do that in the future. So we cannot leave it completely to the machines and therefore we need to have good analytical tools which helps us to explain. So there, I think we are um, doing a lot in, in this area. We're working with the world leading company, IBM Watson in, in, in AI to do text mining, uh, do there also, let's say, all kinds of this in different languages. And we also do on the analytic side, on the, let's say, automatic underwriting, uh, also all kinds of initiatives with this, these kind of new guys, which are in, in, in sitting in London or in the, in the Silicon Valley, who helps us there to bring these, let's say, predictive um, analytics in our business model. But as you said, that's not only, that's only one of the digitalization themes. We need to also look to the user experience, a bit of a fancy word, but as you said, it's not an easy product. So what a customer has to do is quite yeah, cumbersome, asking for credit limits, notifying their insurer if a, if a claims is not paid. But even if the, with the best online tool we have, it's still a very cumbersome work. And so what we do and can do is, is simplify this process. So what you need in principle to understand is that the data of that invoice is due or that an internal limit needs to be exceeded 
is in principle already in a machine, not in our machine, but in the machine of the customer. And if we then use the intelligence which are available in the market called APIs, so <clears throat> application programming interface, a bit of a famous theme in these days, that will definitely help to also make our proposition much more efficient. So we are in Tradius working now with the newest API sets, uh, REST APIs they called, and that's something which also our customers can use more and more. So in principle, CI, we need to provide in a way like energy is, for example, also evolving. Energy is something which you have in your household, but the more and more AI could help to use this, this energy more intelligent. Where is light necessary? Where you have to have power? Do you have always to have lights in every, uh, uh, in every room of your house? All of this is the way to in more and more intelligent use of credit insurance and APIs will do that so that uh, in principle the customers have a kind of if i may say sleeping well feeling at the end because everything around let's say the maintenance of the product can be sorted out via technology that's fascinating dirk there's so much information and like when you think about it like sometimes when you go to a friend's house or something he's got everything going on his automation he can turn his dishwasher on he can turn his music on and i sit yep. there going am i in the stone ages compared you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. But I mean, again, technology will definitely help us there. And if we then also be on the invoice level of a customer in the ERP systems of a customer, it's a bit technology now, then I think we can do much more than we are able to do now for both sides. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Now, I've got a question uh, to both Mark and Dirk. Uh, how would you advise credit insurance brokers stay on top of all this? Because there's a lot of changes coming down the pipeline and we're in a constant state of flux. So what would your advice be to the brokers? Yeah, what I just indicate, I think should be also a role for, is for me, also for the, a role for the broker. I mean, of course, the data are very relevant for the brokers and specialized brokers are using that obviously much more already in a, in a kind of um, reconciled way from different um, institutions and providers. But I think if we all have the same, uh, let's say target, which is make our customers happy, brokers and us, then I think they should also really understand the approaches, how a customer is working in, a, in, 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 in with, with their own system. So what I would recommend that brokers understands better in the future is, for example, ERP system, is, uh, is how APIs can help the, um, the customers to um, optimize the proposition. I feel this is something which is, again, it's because it's a bit technical, not something brokers are normally taking up, but I think there's a big future because that will definitely drive the improvement of our proposition, makes things for the customer much easier and might be, and that's for, I think, for the broker relevant, also something which is then more attractive for other new, new customers. So also in the smaller segment, because we, I think, all agree that our proposition is very much targeted to rather bigger companies because it's simply too complicated, our product, for small and very small companies and with technology this is definitely something we can do and if brokers understand that and the needs they can also challenge and and, and chase the the providers to improve there and i think that's something which i think the market would all benefit from i've got a quick question for you dirk um when you talk about brokers do you run a lot of training programs in europe uh, for this kind of thing for, for the brokers we, we're starting that. I mean, it's also something which, again, also here is evolving process, but you're fully right. That's also one of the topics which we also as a, as a credit insurer needs to take very serious to have there an aligned view and have indeed trained the brokers on that as well. Yeah.
Yeah, look, Dave, I, th I think it's really a three-way partnership with the brokers and the brokers add great value, particularly in cases where it's a claim or a limit, et cetera, where it's more difficult. And by having a lot of the stuff simplified and using digitalization, it allows them to really focus on where they add value and also be able to simplify the product for those people that don't already have it. So I think there's great value in it, and I think the education we're doing around it, look, it is slowly, slowly, mm. but it's important for our future for all of this going forward. 100%. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Stephen, I might bring you into this conversation because you'd be no stranger to predictive analysis tools, looking mm -hmm. at economic and uh, political data. And a lot of, um, obviously, the route of credit insurance is, is looking at protecting against... Um, buyer or country failure or debtor or country failure and that really does go hand in hand with the views of, of what's happening in the economy. So we've had um, a lot of economic news over the past year, particularly around the impact that lockdowns and interrupt, interruption to supply chains have had on our economy. So as, you, um, as you're aware, Australia entered into one of the shortest recessions that we've seen um, in many years, and the latest economic data shows a pretty impressive turnaround and forecast for growth. What what um, are the top three things you think impact the business trading environment? I mean, if we could focus on Australia and New Zealand, that would be great to get your views. Yeah, well, you're quite right. It was a relatively short recession, but by gee, it was a deep one. That um, you know, the June quarter data, when we look back at where we were roughly nine months ago, the economy fell into a a screaming hole. Things were locked down. There was huge uncertainty. We didn't know what COVID-19 was going to do, what it meant, what vaccinations were there. People were worried. Businesses were scared. They were, there was this general feeling when I look back at it, look back at the hard numbers on business confidence, consumer sentiment, GDP, unemployment and the like, the economy was really, really in dire straits. And we were very worried about what was happening. Now, the three things, for example, that might have got us through this, and you're quite right, the numbers of the last six months in particular have been very impressive. We're not quite there yet, but I'll touch on that in a minute. But um, there's certainly been way better than people were fearing uh, six to nine months ago here in Australia. And I think we can put it down to a few things. In no particular order, the Reserve Bank did slash interest rates to 0.1%. So that interest rate relief, if you like, for both the consumer and the business sector fed into cash flow benefits. It lowered the hurdle rate for borrowing for some businesses that were a bit more adventurous and were taking on uh, new credit. And that helped. The Reserve Bank simultaneously undertook some quantitative easing. They were buying bonds in the secondary market. So they were targeting the three-year government bond yield at 0.1%. So for all intents and purposes, 0%. So that had the, the, the yield curve out to three years at zero. So that monetary stimulus was huge. They had a lending facility of up to $100 billion where the banks could finance themselves. So there was not this uh, sand in the wheels, if you like, of the financial markets not providing credit to the banking sector. The Reserve Bank were genuinely the banker of last resort. They were the banker's bank. And that easier credit, if you like, was uh, easier interest rates was one of the reasons. Reserve Bank monetary policy were critical. <clears throat> the government, to its credit, also uh, undertook some stimulatory fiscal policy settings. You know, the, the job keeper payment, which was effectively sort of like a wage um, insurance or a wage subsidy so that firms could keep people attached to the labour market, 
clearly had a benefit. Money went into uh, consumers' pockets, large amounts of it in some instances. And while businesses were clearly under a lot of pressure, they were not selling as many of their goods and services as, as they might. The fact that the consumer kept their head above water generally uh, was an important part of all that. And this is despite things like low wages growth, um, low inflation, the fact that the unemployment rate did spike, of course. Uh, but nonetheless, it was fiscal policy stimulus was also very, very important. And there were some income tax cuts and a few other little bits and pieces that we shouldn't really ignore, but it was a combination of that fiscal stimulus. By the way, the budget deficit went to almost $200 billion from almost being in balance. So that tells you how big that stimulus was, more than 10% of GDP. The other thing, which is more, uh, well, a non-economic one in a sense, even though it had economic consequences, was that through good luck, good management, the fact that we're in Ireland, and certainly in the case of New Zealand, that geographic distance from the COVID hotspots throughout the bulk of Europe, throughout the US, throughout Canada, the UK, um, we were lucky in a sense that <clears throat> we could close our borders internationally. And that stopped COVID becoming a more entrenched illness problem throughout the whole economy. And while we're still nervous, you know, people I talk to, they're not blasé. They're delighted that there's low levels of um, COVID. There's the occasional hotspot that sort of pops up in places. But I talk to my friends in the US, for example, and they say, oh, there were three cases in Brisbane. So we virtually shut the city down. They laugh because they're getting three cases every 15 minutes, every five minutes, every two minutes. And um, uh, they're sort of functioning. So I think that over... Uh, compensation, if you like, that heavy-handed, some people are saying, approach to COVID. While we can um and ah and debate whether that was the right approach, at the end of the day, as I sit here now and look at where the economy's been and why we recovered, I think that third element of why we're doing well, why New Zealand, again, fell into a deep recession, that proverbial V-shape came back very strongly in the latter part of 2020 and from what we can tell in the first few months of 2021, is that we didn't have the COVID problems. And that has been a huge benefit. And mm. so when we put into the mixing pot, and economic historians will do this in years to come, I dare say, why did we get through the COVID downturn better than most other countries here in Australia and in New Zealand? Super aggressive interest rate policy, that was a global phenomenon. Fiscal policy, that was a global phenomenon too. The fact that we didn't have COVID running through our society with lots of hospitalizations, deaths and closures. That was, I won't say exclusive to Australia and New Zealand, but it was one of the things that got us through. How, how well equipped do you think we are um, to cope with the inevitable turnaround there? I mean, you can't keep, the government can't just keep pumping money in and fiscal stimulus. We've got that big deficit, as you mentioned, and interest rates, there's only so far down they can go before they need to be reversed. How well equipped are we to cope with reversals of some of that, that policy? Good question. I think we'll, I'll deal with the easiest one first. That's the Reserve Bank and monetary policy. They've told us that they're going to keep interest rates in Israel for three years. They are not going to be hiking rates, winding back to QE uh, for the next three years. They've told us that explicitly. And on this issue, I'll take them as, at their word. Where we get a hiccup, and this is where the economics profession now is debating what's the outlook for the economy through the course of 2021, as you quite rightly point out, that fiscal policy will be less easy, tightened, if you want to use that uh, adjective, 
coming up very, very soon. The budget from uh, Treasurer, Mr Frydenberg, is on the 11th of May, so just uh, not many weeks away now. We know that the job keeper payments are ending at the end of March. They were a huge amount of money, and that money is not going to be in the economy when those uh, payments end. So we do have this issue. Well, we've got through better than most of us expected, that everyone expected. We do have a tightening in fiscal policy coming down the, the pike in the next month or two, and how we cope with that, whether the private sector has enough momentum to pick up the slack that the public sector is going to be withdrawing from the economy as the government works on budget repair, getting that $200 billion deficit down to 100, down to 50, down to 20. And that's being optimistic for the next three or four years. Uh, it, it really relies on the private sector to pick up that slack. And, and that's where their uh, confidence in maybe the Reserve Bank saying, well, interest rates will be this for the next few years, that will give them some confidence because there's some certainty for the future for them to work out what their investment strategies will be, I suppose. Yes, on, on this score, the RBA has done the right thing. They're, 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 well, they're not going to be pulling a swifty, if you like. You know, we, yeah. I'm old enough to remember when the Reserve Bank used to surprise us with yeah. interest rate changes every now and then. Uh, I think the RBA has learnt and that they're going to be true to their word that, hey, this is different. We are just getting out of this deep recession, albeit a short one. Unemployment's still high, inflation's low, wages growth is still very low. We want to reflate the economy. And while the government has its own fiscal policy measures to, to deal with, there's a bit of politics there too, because don't forget, later this year or early next year, there's a federal election. I will not go into that space. Um, <laughs> but on the budget, there is a case building that, hey, we just need to wind back some of that fiscal stimulus. Yeah, sure. I think it'd be really interesting, Stephen, to do an analysis over the next few years and look at different regions like Australia, UK, US, like Germany, Netherlands, and how each different region uh, has the economic consequences of COVID. You know what I mean? Like, that'll be oh. an interesting one. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's going to be a hugely interesting topic. Mm. Um, we know that there's some loose correlation. It's too early to tell yet because we don't have enough data in. See, I'm one of these people that love data and I yeah. don't have enough of it. Sure. Uh, whether there's the correlation between uh, the COVID illnesses, however you measure that, obviously yeah. cases, deaths is obviously a very morbid one sure. versus the rate of growth in the economy, that lovely correlation. But early indications are that the, the lower the number of COVID cases, the better the economy has performed. Uh, and I guess that makes intuitive sense too. I like it when economics makes intuitive sense too. It makes but it easier don't have to the, understand. Yeah, something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. But if you don't have the the fear, the concerns, the the horrendous health problems, the horrendous social problems that come with, you know, mass illness and, and lots of people dying, yeah. then your economy can perform better. And I think, yes, in a couple more years, There'll be a lot of scholars looking at that, and I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the results are. I think I know what they're going to be, but yeah, we won't preempt that. No, for sure. Now, Stephen, Mark mentioned some industries that may benefit from credit insurance. What are your thoughts on how credit insurance plays a role in supporting economic growth? Are there any economic yeah. factors at play that could spark more interest in trade trade credit insurance in this region? Well, shocks to the economy show how value valuable all sorts of insurance are. Credit insurance. Um, I talk to a lot of people who hedge their foreign exchange exposures. That hedging is effectively insurance against the Aussie dollar going up or down or the euro changing or the US dollar changing dramatically. So in a sense, from a business perspective, 
um, that insurance, be it credit, be it foreign exchange, be it some other form, is a, just a simple part of doing business. If you can eliminate that from your wall of worry, there's enough things to worry about when you're running a business. Yeah. And if you can uh, put credit risk to a, to a side because you've insured it, then you can get on with your entrepreneurial flair, mm. taking over your customers, uh, developing your your skills, growing your business, and these sorts of things. Certainly, I think that's the case when, yeah, again, with the people I talk to more on foreign exchange issues, when they look at that, yeah, they, they, they know that they'll get burnt if the Aussie dollar rockets up to 90 cents or drops down to 60 cents. Hey, let's just hedge it at 75. If it goes up or down, it's our good or bad luck. Let's just get on with our business of manufacturing this, exporting that, and just put foreign exchange out of our minds. It's exactly the same with credit insurance. Mm. I've got a question for all three of you. And gentlemen, this is for the cash prize. Um, and we'll go, I think, Stephen, Mark, Dirk. Um, <clears throat> can we get from each of you your one sentence of prediction on how you think 2021 will play out from an economic or credit insurance point of view? Okay, I'm first. It'll be, be It'll be a year of growth consolidation. There will be a lot of uh, potholes along the road. I think that we mentioned job uh, seeker coming to an end, uh, job keeper coming to an end in a in the near term. There will be a bit more of a just a consolidation after this exuberance where we've all got down and spend money because COVID's been largely beaten in Australia. Generally good news, but I'm not yet prepared to break out the champagne. Fair enough. Now, that was more of a one-paragraph answer, but I do yeah. appreciate Apologies. the details, David. I never ask an economist to answer in one sentence. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Yeah, look, so just following on from that, and I probably can't do it in a sentence either, but uh, you know, when we talk about potholes, that's what credit insurance is for. When we talk about growth, that's what credit insurance is for. And without being boring about it, I, I think, once again, people... People shouldn't necessarily buy credit insurance because of COVID. Uh, people bought credit insurance well before COVID, but it reminds people of why they have it. And certainly if I had a business, I'd be wanting to protect it from the potholes and I'd want to be trying to get growth where I can get it. So uh, we probably mirrored each other from a slightly different angle. Well, I'm picking out my policy after this phone call. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Dirk, how about yourself? Yeah, so much has been said already, but uh, maybe let's, Put it in one sentence 2021 i i'm very optimistic also on credit insurance side because as stephen already said the government stimulus will still continue i have more questions that, uh, in, the, in the days to come or the years to come 2022 2023 the question mark are bigger than in 2021 thank you all right thanks well thanks everyone for participating in our podcast today it's really been um eye-opening but leaves us pondering the future as well and what, what that may bring um, we've appreciated your time and your valuable insights. So thank you so much from me. Until next time, thanks and stay safe. Okay, thank, thank you very you. much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure yeah. having you on. Mm -hmm.